Uh, I did two conferences in one week. Anybody ever done that before where you've gone to two work conferences? Yeah, Jen's like, uh, all the time. Um, I've never done that before, and one of them was a church planning conference, and the other, the one on the back end of that was a theological conference, so I got to nerd out on some theology and see some of my theological heroes. And one of those uh, that was in town here in D.C. Uh, that I got to see speak in, in person was the man who inspired the series that we're working through, Surprised by Hope. He actually wrote a book called Surprised by Hope, and it's about rethinking heaven, the resurrection, and the mission of the church. And the author's name is N.T. Wright. So you may have heard of him. He's probably the world's, if you haven't, he's the world's foremost New Testament theologian. Uh, he's really smart. And uh, he's British, so even if you don't think he's smart, he sounds smart when he's putting sentences together. You're like, this guy knows what he's talking about. And I got to see him last week in person uh, when I get nerdy about theology stuff. And I was on, you know, me and uh, our church planner, Joel Pazbino, was planning a church in Columbia Heights. We sat next to each other, and we were like this. Uh, whoa, I just uh, jacked my mic up. We had our, ha- our, our hands on our chin, and we were just leaning forward like, ooh, this is amazing. I think Joel was even more giddy than I was. Uh, he was really loving it. So then he speaks, a guy named Greg Boyd speaks, so I really like Greg Boyd too. Just seeing those two on stage together is just like, whoa, this might be the only time we've ever, we'll ever see this. And then at the end, N.T. Wright, this uh, elderly British guy, picks up his acoustic guitar and starts leading us in songs. And he, we thought, like, what's, what's happening here? He grabs this guitar, he walks up on stage, and then he proceeds to sing six songs with us. Some of them he had written. Some of, I was like, does this guy know, do everything? Is he just a total renaissance man? And then he's leading us in songs we know, like the Beatles and then Bob Dylan. And we're like, this is awesome. And it was really one of the more spiritual and powerful moments I've ever experienced to have him leading us in these songs. And the Wind by Bob Dylan. Uh, if you haven't heard it, check it out. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I love the Neil Young version. Uh, of Blown in the Wind, because Neil Young kind of actually hit notes. Uh, <laughs> and he plays the harmonica, which sounds really cool. Barely, yeah. <laughs> Barely. A little bit better than Bob Dylan. Uh, but it's an incredible song. And it's, like I said, it's to us, to me, it's a worship song. So Blown in the Wind, if you haven't heard it or can't remember the lyrics, it was written in the early 60s by Bob Dylan. And the lyrics contain rhetorical questions about peace and racism and freedom and war. And the answer to all of these rhetorical questions is, the, he says, the answer is blown in the wind. And he says that after, that's the chorus. So then the question is, what's the wind? Like if the answer is blown in the wind, what is that? Now when Dylan wrote it at the time, I don't think he knew. He said this in an interview about the song. He said, too many of these hit people are telling me where the answer is. But I won't believe that. I still say it's in the wind. And just like a restless piece of paper, it's got to come down some. But the only trouble is that no one picks up the answer when it comes down. So not too many people get to see and know. And then it flies away. So he said that in the 60s. And in the late 70s, he became a devout Christian. Uh, And I think he figured out what the answer was. Now, the great thing about poetry is that the listener gets to decide what it means. Like it, it, It's going to impact us. The lyrics of a song or a poem or a movie or a Broadway show, they're going to impact us in different ways. So we have the unique ability to be uh, participating and learning and in being inspired by something maybe the author didn't even intend. So when Dylan wrote the song, he didn't know what that meant. But as a Christian, I think I know what it means. Like I fill in the gap with Jesus Christ. 
I think that's the answer. That's blown in the wind. The answer to what Dylan was talking about, uh, war and racism, peace and freedom are incorporated into the world by Jesus Christ. So the church calendar right now that we're in the thick of is actually Easter season. We may think of Easter as one day on the calendar. It's actually, I think, a five or six week season. So we are still in this season of celebrating the, the death and the resurrection the second, or the, the ascension and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this plays out uh, over the next couple of weeks. We've talked, about the resur- we've talked about the death, we've talked about the resurrection, and today we talk about the ascension and the second coming. So as Christians, we believe that Jesus died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and promised he would return to be with us. So now we are in this great in-between from the ascension to the second coming. We're living in that season uh, and it's important for us to understand what his presence like is like uh, with us during that season. And to quote Dylan, I think it's like he's blowing in the wind. Because with Christ right now, uh, we can sense him, we can feel him. So it's this uh, kind of amb- ambiguous and, and nebulous presence that is with us constantly. But someday, we will see him again. So it's vital that we understand this chunk of our faith, this season of our faith. Because for centuries... And in particular, in the last 50 to 75 years of evangelical America, there's a great misunderstanding about what heaven is and what that season should look like in between the ascension and the second coming. So we got about 15 minutes. I think we can figure it out. I think, we can t- I think this is not going to be a problem. It's going to be a piece of cake for us to, to piece all of this together, the, the ascension, the second coming, and everything in between. So our scriptures for today is going to be Luke chapter 24. It's on page 7. 38 of your Bible. So if you have a Bible around you, I'm going to read it out loud, but if you want to flip with me, it's on page 738. And I'm going to read the last few verses uh, of the... It says, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany... He lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So now we're going to flip to, the, to Paul mentioning the second coming, which is Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 821. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, the very beginning of Colossians. So this is a letter that Paul wrote. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. I'm like, that's not the right verse. Chapter three. chapter 3. I'm reading chapter 1. Not bad. I'm like, this isn't the right verse. All right. 822. My bad. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 here. All right. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the, 
Those are some of the verses in Scripture that talk about the ascension and the second coming. They're essential to our theology, to our understanding of who Jesus is and the effect of his lordship on us and in the world. So number one, when I read those verses and when I recognize that I actually believe that he ascended to heaven and that I actually believe that he's coming again, the first thing is it gives me hope for a beautiful future. I'm into hope. All right, I'm into, if you've seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption, there's a great quote that talks about hope. He says, uh, hope is a good thing. Maybe Even if it's just the next day, something we get to cling to, to know that the future, even if it's just the next day, is po- it's possible for more heaven to enter earth, for, for more joy and peace and freedom and these things that Dylan sung about and these things that Jesus, uh, that are sacred to our faith, for, for those to enter the world. The second thing, uh, to quote N.T. Wright, he says, to embrace the ascension is to heave a sigh of relief, to give up the struggle to be God, and with it the inevitable despair at our constant failure. So I can easily take the title of this quote as why I'm not an atheist, because I could not handle the pressure of being God, uh, of making all the decisions, of living with my constant um, failure. To be the master of my fate, to be the captain of my soul, I'm out. I don't want any part of that. So when we think of the ascension and Jesus coming in, we think of the, mirac- the, the miraculous nature of the resurrection and the ascension, the second coming is God, that he is in control, that he is Lord and King. So N.T. Wright says this about the mystery of the ascension. He says, the mystery of the ascension is, of course, just that, a mystery. It demands that we think what is to many today almost unthinkable, that when the Bible speaks of heaven and earth, it's not talking about two localities related to each other within the same space-time continuum or about a non-physical world contrasted with a physical one, but about two different kinds of what we call space, two different kinds of what we call matter, and also quite possibly two different kinds of what we call time. We post-enlightenment Westerns have trouble with this. Although New Age thinkers, novelists, cinema directors, and Broadway are quite capable of taking us into these parallel worlds, spaces, and times, we retreat into our rationalistic, closed-system universe as soon as we think about Jesus. All right, here's what Wright is saying, and I agree. Heaven and earth are not uh, in a way that separates heaven and earth. If you hear someone talking about the Bible, you know, the philosopher, not the kid's toy that you use and, and mold into different stuff. All right, that's a, a platonic philosophy of heaven and earth being these distant realities. That's very Greek, and Jesus was not Greek. He was Jewish, and there's a massive difference to that. So one of the common mistakes, for example, to give a scriptural example of this uh, mistake, the word, whenever you read the word coming, in scripture, it's, we think of it as something that's distant, but it's a mistranslation because the Greek word parousia is translated throughout our English Bibles as coming. What it actually means is presence. So when I went to Athens and I was sitting in uh, Alini's living room, who's um, Greek uh, and her husband's a pastor, she loves this book because Greeks understand scripture better than we do. They understand the Greek language because we've mistranslated in some instances, and that's one of them. The fact that we think of Jesus as far away, and he's coming. Recommend, or he mentions in the verse we already read in Colossians that Jesus will appear. He's not coming from some distance. We're just going to see him in a new light at some point in the future. So it's a big difference 
between maybe, maybe what we've learned and what is actually what actually scripture is teaching. So heaven exists with earth, with earth everywhere right now. You may not believe that, but that's what scripture reveals in the story. And here's why that's important. The ascension and the presence means that Jesus is available and accessible everywhere. So heaven is the source of influence for earth, the place from which we receive instructions and guidance. Matthew mentioned this, who was one of Jesus' disciples and wrote one of his biographies. The very end of his biography, he quotes Jesus as saying, all authority is given to me on heaven or in heaven and on earth, both together. His spirit is with us, influencing us, influencing, influencing this world, and we have the ability to acknowledge and receive from that. So think about your hopes for a second. Think about what you dream of and hope for for yourself, for this world. They're not in vain, even though that we may feel like that sometimes. Your prayers are not in vain. Your work, your job is holy. Your neighboring, your parenting, your friendship with others, your loving of enemies, all of those are heavenly because heaven and earth exist together. Heaven is not some distant reality. It's living and active. So there's pushback here. Well, if Jesus is in charge, why is this place such a mess? And I'm not talking about literally the living room. I'm talking about the world in general. All right, like what's going on in Syria? What, what's going on with that? Why is that a mess? Why can't people acknowledge and repent of racism? Why can't our political leaders behave like grown-ups and introduce a simple universal health care policy? Is that too soon? <laughs> Just a little too specific? We could all point out little things like that's, that's a little bit of hell on earth when there should be heaven on earth. So if, if Jesus and heaven and earth are all together, why are bad things still happening? So, to answer that with us, leading us, guiding us into a more heavenly reality, which is only found through him, we also know there's a resistance to this. The Hebrew description of this resistance is hasatan, which means the accuser. In English, it's called Satan, which we may be familiar with that term. That term. In the New Testament, he's referred to as the prince of this world. So he's working against what Christ is actively restoring. He's losing, and he'll continue to lose, but the battle is still being fought, and the presence of evil is still with us. So I'm going to admit, this understanding of heaven is definitely another mysterious part of our faith. It always annoys me a little bit when Christians try to explain our faith in a very rational way, like it's just everything fits together nicely, and we can comprehend everything if we just think hard enough. That's not true. All right, we're, we are finite creations. God is an infinite creator. There's a big difference between us and God and being able to understand everything. But I would encourage you to all of you highly educated, brilliant mindset here. Resist the temptation to cower into a modernist, rationalistic mindset when it comes to the unseen, to the, un, to the spiritual powers. Because part of our faith is very explainable. Part of our faith is fits together really well. Like, the whole loving your enemies thing, I'm like, that's, who, would, who wouldn't love that? Like, who, who wouldn't understand that that is a really good thing? Or to sell off all of your possessions to help other people. The, some of these things Jesus says, you're like, I love that guy. But then there's other things that are, part of our, that are part of our faith that are like, I don't get that. I don't want to really be a part of that. I don't understand it. And that's the part, the, the part of our faith that's irrational or maybe disorderly to our minds. We just have to understand that part of our faith is beyond us. And remember, we are the created and not the creator. We have limits. So um, where your understanding stops, God begins. 
Like that's the way I think of it. And we have the opportunity to follow him into a holy and heavenly reality. Now, what's that look like? We're talking a lot of like ethereal, philosophical, theological terms. We understand our life actually looked like as it fights against evil. If we're already citizens of that kingdom, how do we understand our lives in the here and now? So I've offered up a lot of mumbo jumbo. Um, so maybe I'll show you guys a picture because uh, I, I like to think in pictures and sometimes images uh, are a little bit more powerful in the words. So I, here's, what I'm, here, here's what I think heaven looks like. And if you can't see that, it's on that screen if you want to turn around. So take a look. Just a few blades of grass growing through the concrete. I think that, um, that that's the uh, image of what I think heaven looks like. And there's a phrase that theologians use to describe this heavenly reality we live in right now. It's called the already but not yet. There's already heaven and good and holy things happening, but it's not completely perfect yet because Jesus hasn't, we have not experienced the second appearing of Christ where he is going to um, kind of finish off everything and make everything perfect. See, heaven finds the cracks in the f- breaking through the concrete of evil and brokenness seen an abandoned building cracks in the facade and it grows up through that and around it have you guys ever seen an abandoned building that's just kind of been left alone for 20 or 30 years nature just covers it in and out all over it just completely um, takes over and that's the way that heaven works it just continually comes and seeps and covers in every nook and cranny so that's what heaven looks like. And that's probably what it feels like right now. Just a little bit of heaven coming through the cracks of the concrete, of the brokenness. We are citizens of a heavenly reality. So that means we are the blades of the grass blowing in the wind of Christ's presence. And we want more and more grass to pop up. So the qualities of the grass, I just want to mention a few of those to personalize, personalize this a little bit. So one thing about grass is that it's communal and it's not individualistic. You can kill a blade of grass pretty easily with your foot. Strong and great numbers. So in other words, you can't lone wolf it. Now think about this. You know, personalize this a little bit because we all tend to draw the line on intimacy with other people at some point. At some point, we, are, we have a natural tendency to resist intimacy and like, oh, nope, I'm not going to go there with my relationships or my friendships or my marriage. And what Jesus wants us to do is to go there. So maybe what you need to consider today for more heaven to enter your world and more heaven to enter earth is what's the next level of relational connection or intimacy with, uh, within your marriage or a friend or a coworker or a neighbor that you need to take because heaven is communal and not individualistic. The second quality of grass is that it receives rather than forces. Grass only survives and grows because of sunlight and rain. It is in a constant state of receiving. That is its source of strength. That is how it takes over and how it seeps into the world. Something from outside of itself. So take the time to slow down and receive. Are you doing that? Are you celebrating the little things? Are you resting? Are you playing? Are you watching your kids play without your technology out? Are you taking in sunsets? Are you going on vacations? Are you receiving? Are you going on hikes? Whatever it is that helps you receive and grow and be restored and to strengthen, maybe that's the next step into the kingdom, into the heavenly reality that you need to make. And then the third thing, uh, grass needs to be mowed. I just moved to the suburbs. I can vouch for that. 
Um, I have a large lawn now. Uh, you're going to be cut by the master. You need to be pruned and trimmed. All right, you need to be controlled in, in a sense because that is how grass strengthens and grows and, and, and gets stronger in numbers. And you also have to be wary of the enemy like weeds and ivy that can seep into the grass. So maybe it's, maybe God's trying to refine you somewhere, trim you back, cut you. It doesn't feel good to be cut, but maybe that's what needs to happen. Or maybe you need to identify, and you're like, I, that needs to be eliminated. That needs to be pushed back for more heaven to enter my reality or more heaven to enter the world. So um, picture that. What are you resistant to? Uh, you could probably think of all of those, but here's what I want to do. I want to I want to give an opportunity for kind of silent reflection here. All right, I'm going to pray for just a few seconds, and then we're just going to sit in silence. And I want you to just think about this on your own. Close your eyes and think about which one of these qualities that we talked about. Is it, you know, next step in a relationship? Uh, is it maybe more receiving? Maybe you need to rest, be rejuvenated. Uh, maybe God is trying to refine you, and it doesn't feel good, and you're resistant to that. Or maybe there's just something to, to, to push out of your life that's poisonous to you. You know, some weeds or some ivy. So I'm going to pray over us, and, I want us to, and, and then I'll close in prayer, but I'm going to give us some time in between, some silence. Know that your presence is with us. We know that. Lord, we know that your presence is with us. We know that heaven and earth are next to each other. We know that you, we are receiving from you constantly. God, I just pray over each of us right now that we would be aware of what the next step into a heavenly reality looks like for each of us. Lord, I pray that these thoughts of action act on it. That we would realize um, that we may not audibly hear your voice. We feel you like the wind. We, f we sense you and feel you moving. And I pray that we would respond to your movement in our hearts and our minds. And that more heaven would enter our reality and in our world. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So you look at the picture of the grass. Think of this as a picture of you, a picture of restore, a picture of heaven. We want more of that entering the world. So the band's going to come up uh, as I'm, I was supposed to bring them up a little bit ago. Uh, but I'm going to close uh, one more time in prayer uh, as they're coming up. So would you guys pray with me?